Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, jump to Proverbs chapter 7, Proverbs chapter 7 this morning. Uh, we are in week three of our sex series, so if this is your first time, you've come to a great series. This is it. Uh, this is exciting for all of us, and uh, we are going to be talking about a topic that uh, you've probably never heard about before, um, pornography. Yeah, the What? And the reality is pornography is a big deal in our culture. It's a big, uh, it's a big issue in our culture, and we're going to tackle it head on this morning. And, uh, and the reason I was uh, really excited about this particular moment is because uh, if, if the previous sermons haven't hit you, this one really will because it hits all of us because of where our culture is in terms of this issue of pornography. I want to give you two resources um, that will be helpful for you to to join in on with us. First one is this. Um, if you go to Uversion and you type in in Uversion, the Uversion app um, on your phone, the app store, if you type in Uversion, and if you type in sex on the search, in the Uversion app, all right? <laughs> Don't just get onto your phone and be like, I'll just type it. No, that won't help you. Um, but if you go to U, the Uversion app, you type in sex, you'll find um, our uh, our study and the, the backdrop of it is the same as our, as our title here of uh, Sex, Design, Distortion, Redemption. And we actually have a study for you to walk through to dive a little deeper into the content that we're talking about. Another option as well is that we actually do have a, uh, a podcast, a college uh, ministry podcast. And so you can go to your Apple web, web browser and uh, look at the Apple podcast and track with us along. If, if one of these sermons is helpful for you, you want to share it with someone else, there's a great opportunity for you to be able to share re-listen to those, uh, those talks, all right? So if you have your Bible, uh, Proverbs chapter 7, going to read for us, pray, and then we will jump into our topic. Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 1, says this, Now my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, from her smooth words. And even as I'm reading this, you can say, from the crazy dude who is looking to get with me. Or from the pornography that is talking to me, that's alluring me in, from the, their smooth words. For at the window of my house, I looked and through the, my lattice, I have seen among the simple and perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the streets near the corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, a woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, good word, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. She's fun. She's yelling. Her feet do not stay at home. She's everywhere. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a bold face, she says, I have had to offer sacrifices. And today I've paid my vows. You've always wanted a woman to say that to you. So I've come out to meet you. To seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloe and cinnamon. It smells good. It looks good. Come, take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his money bag with him at full moon. He will come, at full moon, he will come home. 
With much seductive speech, she persuades him, and with her smooth talk compels him. And all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, sons, listen to me, and be attentive to my words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her past. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, down to the chambers of death. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I, I, I confess, we all confess, that there is something tempting about the description of this woman. There is something tempting about the description of this person that would lure us in, that would seduce us, and what we often don't see is where it ends. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would help us to gain insight and foresight, that we might find freedom, that we would know the truth, and that by knowing the truth, we would be free. And Lord, we can't do that by ourselves. There's nothing we can conjure up to to bring us toward freedom. We need you, so I pray that your spirit would come here and would lead us. So in your name we pray, amen. Well, there's one big statement I want to give you this morning, and it's this. Purity is the pathway to intimacy, and pornography is the pathway to captivity. Purity is the pathway to intimacy, and pornography is the pathway to captivity. Have you ever said this statement, hey, I know what I'm doing. Remember when I was in seventh grade, I was doing math problems, and, uh, and I was a um, liberal arts major, and so math and I never got along. Um, we were always enemies. And, and my mom came after watching me work through my homework, and she said, hey, do you mind if I help you with that? She was very smart in math. And I said, I got this. I turned in my paper, I get it back, and I get like, I don't know, a D on the assignment. It was something terrible. And, I'm, and, and she goes, okay, your next homework assignment, do you want me to help you? I'm like, no, no, no I got this. Years later, uh, my, my dad was teaching me how to change the oil in my car. And, uh, and, and if you haven't, this is your first time with us, Kevin is mechanically um, a failure, okay? When it comes to anything with cars or anything mechanical, I'm a failure. And so he's teaching me how to change the oil in my car, hopefully saving me some money in my future. It hasn't because it never caught, right? Never, and, I, and, and he said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to first you know, open some things and then let some things out and, and put some stuff there to catch the oil and then put it back in. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I got this. I got this. I got this, right? And so I go through the process. I, I open up the screw on the bottom of the, of the pan, of the oil pan. It's letting the oil out. It's going into like the prescribed container and it's all going well. And I'm like, this is perfect. This is all good. And, uh, and I get back to the top, and I'm like, okay, the oil's all gone. Now to put in the new oil. And so I start putting in the new oil, and my dad asks me a, a very insightful question. Did you put the top back on the oil pan, and did you put the filter where it goes? Dad, I got this. And as I'm pouring, oil is pouring all the way through, like all the way out the pan. And I just see this trail of oil going down the, the sidewalk or whatever, down the driveway of my... And I realize this moment, the statement, I've got this, I know what I'm doing, I can do this, is a statement of the naive. It's a statement of the simple. 
It's the statement of the person that doesn't really know what they're doing, but we're too overconfident to admit, hey, we've got a problem that's been, that's been sor- circling around us, and we're really, many of us, we are too proud to admit the help that we need. And the reason I start there is because there's many of us in this room, when it comes to the issue of pornography, we would say to ourselves, I've got it. But in reality, it's got us. And so as we talk about pornography this morning, I'm going to begin with this, what it looks like to have porn in our culture. Where did this come from? And first, what would be most helpful, I think, is to start with simply a definition. What actually is pornography? Because there's debate around the issue. What qualifies as porn? And so I brought Merriam-Webster to help us along the journey. And he says this, it's the deception of, or the depiction of erotic behavior as in pictures or writing intended to cause sexual excitement. It's material such as books or photographs that depicts erotic behavior and is intended to cause sexual excitement. The depiction of acts in a sensual manner so as to arouse a quick, intense, emotional reaction. That would qualify as pornography. Anything that fits. It's writing, it's literature, as well as imagery or movies. All of those things qualify as pornography. And where did this begin? I mean, did this only start with the beginning of the iPhone? Is that when porn had its beginning? Actually, it started much earlier than that. And I've consulted the Encyclopedia Britannica. I've done so much reading on pornography, I'm like, I can't wait for the sermon to be done. Okay, so I, like, But Britannica had some wisdom for, uh, for me, and it says this. Uh, in most historical societies, frank depictions of sexual behavior, often in religious contexts, were common. In ancient Greece and Rome, for instance, phallic imagery, that's a fun word you can look up later on, um, and depictions of orgiastic scenes, another thing you can uh, look up with a friend, don't just look that up alone, um, though it's unlikely they fulfilled anything like the socio and psychological functions of modern uh, pornography, but the bottom is this, we've had depictions of, of sexuality all through culture, even in ancient Greek and Roman times. And it was often connected to their religious expression. Going to church usually meant they were going to engage in some sort of sexually perverse activity. That was ancient religion. So it's kind of always been there. It was even in Japan. Japan, they had this, um, this item called a makuri. Uh, if you're Japanese, you can help me with pronunciation. I have no idea how to say it. Um, but makura, makuri, uh, pillow pictures. And they were intended for entertainment um, for married couples. But this is so interesting. By the 18th century, the government began issuing official edicts against it, and some arrests and prosecutions followed because they became so popular, these erotic pictures that they were putting out there. And, uh, and if you look at it today, which you will right now, um, As we look at this, we're like, what's the big deal? But as they saw this, this depiction of erotic imagery, they realized, oh my gosh, this is is corrupting our society. We need to stop this. But it's not just over there in in ancient cultures, ancient Greece. Um, It continued even in Europe as well. One major uh, invention that helped this was the invention of the printing press. It's interesting how we take new technologies and we twisted them for other instances. One of the most popular books printed on the printing press was the Bible, right? And so it was a great opportunity to, to spread the word of God. But it was also another opportunity to spread other types of literature. 
And so it happened right after the invention of the printing press, uh, they promoted pornographic works, which frequently contained elements of humor and romance and were written to entertain as well as arouse. Um, But this is interesting. By 1837, the time of Queen Victoria, there were more than 50 pornographic shops um, in London known as Booksellers Row. So even in 1837, um, in Europe in particular, there was tons of pornographic imagery, books, uh, shops, over 40 or over 50 uh, pornographic stores right in London. It became very popular very quickly. And that brings us all the way to the 19th century, to, to pornography today. With the invention in the 1900s of, of, of better cameras, like photography cameras, but also the invention of video and VHS tapes, by the 80s, pornography became extremely widespread. It became very popular all the way across our culture. And if you look at pornography today... We'd say there, I would say there's three um, realities to pornography today. The first one is this, that we are extremely accepting of pornography today. One study in Pew Research says this, that 70% of Americans um, would say that nude pictures or X-rated videos on the internet provide harmless entertainment for those who enjoy it. So 70% of Americans would say pornography is not that big of a deal. We're very accepting of it culturally. Secondly, we're consuming it. Porn sites receive more regular traffic, more clicks, than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Isn't that amazing? Our pornographic websites get more traffic than all the other entertainment pieces that we have. Porn is, uh, is global, an estimated $97 billion industry. So we are pouring a ton of money into a pornography, about $12 billion of that coming to the, from the U.S. And in 2016 alone, more than... I don't even know what that number is. At four billion five, it's, it's an extensive amount of hours of porn were consumed in the world's largest porn site. That's one porn site had over four billion hours of consumed material. So not only are we accepting it, we're consuming it. Thirdly, we're creating it. We like culturally, we no no we like us, like like people in this room. According to a recent study from Pew Research, forty per. of teens reported sending or receiving a sexually explicit text or sext, a jump of nearly double from 2012. A separate study from Purdue University found that among 21-year-olds, 80% had sent or received a sext and 46% had sent a nude selfie. So if we go back to our definition of what pornography is and and any of its imagery used to elicit uh, a sexual excitement or arousal, uh, we would be people that not only consume it, but we're creating it. We're perpetuating the cycle. The nude image that you're taking and sending to your boyfriend or girlfriend or prospective boyfriend or girlfriend or friends that are doing this, that is actually creating more and more pornography in our culture. We're accepting, we're consuming, we're creating. Well, how does this work? How does porn work with us well in biblical times they didn't have cameras they didn't have videos they didn't have iphones but what they did have was sensual expression and when you look at the book of proverbs in particular the book of proverbs is written from a from a wise father figure solomon to his son and it's not just to his son it could literally be expanded to say it's wise parents to their children their sons and daughters And the point is this, we want to get wisdom to help us live differently. 
We want to get wisdom. We want to get insight that gives us foresight so we can see what's coming. That way we can escape bad decisions in life. And although the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about the nude images on our phone, it does give us wisdom when it comes to the area of sensual expression. So how does porn work? Well, according to this passage, it says this, that simplicity, that means naivety, leads to curiosity, which then acts in sensuality and eventually lands in captivity. When I'm simple, the way the author says it this way, he says this, I, I want to tell you about a, a, a situation that I see all the time. And I'll tell you this, your situation, you are unique, you're special, you are a special so, snowflake from, from God. Like, he made you and you are special. But your situation is common. You're special. You're unique. You are an individual. But let me tell you, the situation you're walking to is very, very common. It's been played out over and over and over again, literally for centuries. And he says, I want to I tell you a scenario that plays out all the time. It says this, now from the window at my house, I'm, I'm sitting up there from a perspective, a higher perspective. I see what's going on. And I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the use, a man lacking sense. Simple means this, inexperienced, naive. They don't know what's coming. So I look at the simple, naive person that doesn't even know what they're digging into. When it comes to pornography, the first exposure is often to people under 12 years old, usually about 10 years of age. If that was you, like it was me, my first exposure was um, over at a friend's house. The dad had Playboy magazines in his bathroom. And the curiosity of children, the simplicity of children, looked at those magazines, opened them up. It came very early in my life. I don't know what it was for your life. Maybe it was a phone, a friend, an older brother or sister that exposed this to you. And it's simplicity that leads, secondly, to curiosity. Passing along the streets, taking the road to her house in twilight in the evening, at the time of night and darkness, and behold, a woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily at heart. The young man is walking down the street, and he knows he shouldn't go there. He knows what's coming. He knows the type of people that are there. In the same way, when you have your phone late at night, or when you, when you have friends that are, that are going to watch this movie, or hey, you should check this out, check out this video, like it was for me in college when it became very popular in my life to, to just come over to a random dorm room and see, see videos like going on the screens of, of roommates and other random people. You just happen to be walking by, and you know that it's going to come out. And it's curiosity. What is that exposure? What is that person doing? What are these things that are happening? And, and it just becomes curiosity. I was talking with one girl and she said that she had some, some situations in her past that led her to be curious of these different types of sexuality. And she said, literally, you can search for anything, whatever you're curious about. And he goes and he meets and he sees the sensual activity of these people. The curiosity exposes you to the sensuality. And there's part of this that is very attractive. When I was in college, there was a video series that came out that was really popular back then. It was called Girls Gone Wild. And if you were to look at that, which I'm not recommending, but if you were to look at those commercials from back in the 2000s, you would say they are just depicting these types of women. 
The people that are loud and exciting and partying and drinking. Oh, we're having a great time. Like, oh, come on, come on, come on. You should come with me. We're going to be on the beach. It's going to be amazing. We're going to go on you know, this vacation. No one's going to know. It's going to be so good. And she goes and she comes to the marketplace and she looks good. I mean, she looks so hot. Or you're going to that place. You're going to that bar. You're going to that club. And you see that guy and he looks so hot. Or you're sitting there on your phone. And you're feeling lonely or lost, just wanting for some connection. And those girls, those guys, those situations look so attractive. And you see the sensuality. And you see this play out all the time. Someone seizing him and kissing him with bold face says, I've offered sacrifices, meaning I've got food at home. Not worried about church. I've got food at home that's fresh. Why don't you come for a meal? I've come out to meet you. I'm looking for you. Pornography has a way of just drawing you in with that sensual expression. It feels like it was created for you. They're doing that on purpose to get you hooked. And with much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth tongue compels him. And all at once he follows her. As an ox goes to a slaughter. What you don't realize is that this lifestyle, these decisions, watching these things play out on the screen in front of you, actually will catch you so that you can't be free. And what you don't realize is that when you go back in the back, what ends up happening is pornography becomes an addiction. And it happens over and over again in our culture. People that literally get locked into a cycle. One study says, says this. This is um, really disturbing of the captivity that it creates. According to the Science Social Quarterly, it says this, that over people who admitted to having extramarital affairs were over 300% more likely to admit consuming porn than those who had never had an affair. Over 300% more likely for those people that had had an affair, saying, yeah, porn was part of it. One comedian has a, has a special in which he addresses this issue in his own life. It's Chris Rock. Chris Rock is a very popular comedian, very famous comedian. And in, 20, in 2016, Rock um, and his wife of 18 years got a divorce. And he admitted what happened that led to that divorce. And these are some of the statements. I've, I've, I've tailored the statements significantly because Chris Rock has a uh, vernacular that I just can't read to you from the stage. And he says this. When you start watching porn, any porn will do. Then later on, you're, you're messed up, and you need a perfect porn cocktail to get you aroused. I was so messed up. I need like an Asian girl with a black girl and a sp- with sp- speak Spanish, and he's like, I'm a lot better now. But after watching pornography, he says this, you have a hard time even making eye contact and verbal cl- cl- cues. You get desensitized. He talks about his divorce. He says, it's my fault. I didn't listen. I wasn't kind. I had an attitude. I thought, I pay for everything. I can do what I want. That'll work. This says, that doesn't work. Some of these lessons you've got to learn. I brought this on myself. I brought this on myself. And you've got to learn some lessons, some man lessons. What Chris Rock says is this. You start small, and it ends big. You start thinking it's free, but you end up a captive. And so what I want to give us in our closing time together is this, the way of escape. 
And this is what the author of Proverbs lays out. He says, I want to give you wisdom. I want to give you a perspective, a higher perspective on how to view this situation because you're unique, but your situation's not. And I want to give you insight. I want to give you clarity on on how to escape this. And I want to give you foresight. I want you to know where this ends. This will end in death if you let it consume you. But there is a path toward freedom. So to help us dissect and and unearth that path toward freedom, I want to uh, welcome two people to the stage, um, Steve and Tara Deckers. Would you welcome to the stage with me? Now, Steve and Tara um, work in some ministries here in town, but I'm going to let them introduce themselves and, and, uh, and talk a little bit about what, um, what they've seen and their experience when it comes to this issue of pornography. So let's jump off with this. Why don't you introduce yourselves to all of us here? All right. Yeah, my name is Steve Deckers, and this is my wife. We've been married for 15 years. I'm going to introduce myself. She's going to introduce herself, because uh, Kevin, when he invited us, it was kind of like a two-for-one deal, because we operate very very differently and also in, in different ministry opportunities. So we have different experiences. And, and for me, uh, it started in the journey when I jumped into ministry, and uh, we uh, work with people that are going overseas long term. Mm-hmm. And uh, very quickly, working with agencies and finding out, hey, how do we get people ready the most? Uh, one of the, the statements that got put in front of us, not, not just a statement, but an ultimatum, was we need to see people uh, free from pornography for one year mark the calendar one whole year before they go overseas. And then number two was six months free from the, the habit, the addiction of masturbation. And so when those things came in front of me, we, I had to find out, oh, okay, well, then I have to find out where people are at. And I didn't realize that actually it, was, it wasn't a question of, oh, do you struggle with pornography? It was more of a question, how often? Do you struggle with pornography? And then working from there. So we had to uh, really dive into this because we really did believe that God, we had so much hope for God raising up people from, from here to go among the nations. And so I got the opportunity to jump into people's lives into an area that I just wasn't aware of before um, and didn't realize. So uh, in navigating that, I got tons of experience of trying to help uh, men and, and then eventually uh, through our team helping women as well. Um, and so Tara, I'll let you introduce yourself. Um, yeah, I'm Tara. Um, I am a counselor in town, um, and so I have that background. Whether or not I wanted to face this, I realized very quickly that I had to, um, and so also jumped into that, and we've kind of been doing um, a lot of research and work in this area as well. Um, we have four kids together, ranging in age from 13 to 8, um, so, so that's a little bit about us. That's awesome. All right, so as you work with people, and, and Steve, you even kind of jumped into a little bit, what, what was surprising to you about seeing um, really this pornography becoming epidemic with the people that you're working with? So what, what surprised you? I think that one of the things that surprised me since I already alluded to it was when we asked those questions, they, people really wanted to start going into that, and no one had asked them before, or not many people, or even planned to follow up and actually say, all right, let's... Let's, let's work on this. Like, where are we going to start? Um, and we'll go through that a little bit later. But I think that's what surprised me was that no one else was asking about it. Um, I would say that like two kinds of, of things kind of on both sides of the spectrum. One is that it was um, justified and normalized for men in particular, but also um, it was a part of being hidden and alone. So there's like this justified behavior that happens uh, mm-hmm. alone. And in secret, 
sort of this weird um, dichotomy, as well as what Kevin has already alluded to, and that is that a lot of it started accidental. Um, another way that it starts is as a result of trauma. So I want to acknowledge that, too, that that can be a place where it starts. Um, another thing that if, if I look, I look a lot at family patterns, right? And if I look at family patterns, um, it might not be that porn was an issue in their background, but that it was an issue uh, like of avoiding emotions or not being able to handle stress or escaping or something like that. And so um, that's something that I started to recognize too is just a way of dealing. Um, another thing we kind of realized is that, well, I'm thankful that y'all are dealing with it now, but it wasn't handled um, or dealt with when we jumped into this the first few years. And so it wasn't being talked about in the church. Um, church people were struggling. Um, and so that kind of surprised us. And then as we kept going, we're realizing we can't just make this a guy issue. It's definitely a guy and a gal issue. Awesome. So just leaning into that a little bit, what, um, as, you, as you counsel women, um, what do you see in terms of, of women and issues with, with pornography? Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to say uh, it's not just a guy issue. It definitely is um, something that females struggle with as well. Um, and I think for women in particular, I could be wrong about this, but I think that there's a lot more shame um, that's associated with it. I think it's not talked about as much. I think um, one female to another, they aren't going to um, talk about it and normalize it quite as much. And so there's shame that goes along with that. Um, I think for women, too, there's just this cultural message. Um, look at Hollywood, look around, um, of just... in. Like have, women have this deep desire, and men too, really, um, to be known and understood. And the pathway for women especially is to be hypersexual. Yeah. And so in order to really understand that, um, women feel like they need to know um, how to lure a man in sexually, how to, how to be kind of provocative um, in order to have that deep desire met. And it is a, a distorted uh, way to deal with that, um, but yeah. it is kind of the reality that our culture puts on you um mm. as far as yeah. masturbation sex awesome so steve as you've been talking with people and and leading preparing them to go overseas but just preparing people generally to get to move toward freedom what advice would you give to us yeah i think uh when i first entered in i think the first uh step was confession and bringing things to the light i think uh i always use the the picture of mold i'm up from up north so we have a lot more mold issues with moisture and cold and all that but uh and basements but like when uh when you have mold and you you bring it into the light and you clean it but you still have to find the root of that mold right and so the first definitely bringing things into the light will counter the the environment and you you may see things go into complete freedom but it doesn't end there i think that is a a christian mindset sometimes we just be like all right you you confessed it and now phew it's 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 done i do think that does happen for some folks but not most um because it's an addiction and so yeah our our next step is definitely we dive into your identity in christ we want god's word to show you who you are because you've probably been spiritually just completely beating yourself down being like i struggle with this and so i'm disqualified from all these things and i might have even alluded to that in the beginning with what i said um but what we identified was that like no christ actually loves dealing with where you're at and actually has a lot to say about who you are that counters this this culture and this worldview um but then there's the next level so after going through that it's still an addiction and so we love 
to holistically approach your addiction mentally, emotionally, and physically. And so physically, those things look definitely like, hey, removing, uh, like if, if you're struggling with cell phone and different things like that, it's like, hey, how do you remove yourself? How do you put it physically in different settings? Mentally, we want to give um, a lot of value. If you look at addictions, you want to give a lot of values to moments in time. And so one of those tools that you'll find in addiction is like you're counting your days. Now, counting your days can feel like, oh, man, if I fail, then I feel so much shame. Well, no, you probably feel disappointment. Um, And it's okay to feel disappointment because you're kind of finding out the level of your addiction. But when you count days, what happens is a moment in time going into break, going into those harder environments, it's like not just a a passing moment. You're like, oh, wow, this is my day 100. I don't want to like fail now, okay? So it's just one of many, many things. But then emotionally is just really tracking what are the emotions and the deep desires that you really do have and what is the pathway to that? What has God given you as the pathway to that? Because you probably have been in a cycle um, that's leading it not into um, those things being actually met. Yeah, I would uh, agree with all of that, but also build on it. So um, in my training in counseling, um, you wouldn't just start with behaviors, um, although that's important. Um, Sometimes you have to go further back and look at when was your first experience? When was your first exposure? Because that's when it started, right? And so we'd invite Jesus into that place. Um, I would look at, man, if you've been traumatized in this area and that's, you know, where the curiosity started or the confusion started, that's where I would start. Um, Because you can't just deal with the fruit, right, of what's happening right now without getting all the way back. So I'd look at trauma and abuse. That's where I'd start. Um, And then look at family messages, um, lies you might be leaving, things like that. But I would get into the relationships and how is this affecting your relationship with other people, um, with romantic relationships, your relationship with the Lord especially, Um, getting into some of that. And then, like Steve said, um, working through some of that identity stuff, Um, recognizing lies. A lie that a lot of people will believe is that, man, when I get married, it'll be fine. And the thing is, is like pornography is not about the way sex was designed. You've developed a strategy for coping with stress. Um, and that strategy is not helpful. So it's, it's part of avoiding um, hard things. It's part of escaping reality. It's part of um, just dealing maladaptively, right, wrongly, with stress and anxiety and different kinds of things. And so we'd want to understand that and get to the root of that. Um, look at the triggers, Um, what are some times and places where you're more drawn to that? A lot of times it's when you're tired, it's when you're stressed, it's when you're feeling lonely. Um, And we'd be looking at idols, um, recognizing where we're putting something in the place of something else, right? That's an idol. Um, And so pulling out idols and recognizing... um, the, the short-term, you know, thing that will fill us for just a very few seconds, um, really. Um, another way we deal with it, um, it would be to look at some of the accountability. So one analogy I'll often give is, man, if you are accountable to your roommates, small group leaders, whatever, if you have accountability in your life, it can be helpful. Sometimes just bringing this to the light, I've seen people walk in freedom just by confessing it. Um, an analogy that kind of goes with that is if you're in this garage, right? And there's a huge garage door open and you're confessing everything, whether it's sexual sin or not. That door stays open and you can, you can be seen, known, give and receive love. But when you start hiding, that garage door starts to close and you can kind of get out. You can still, still walk in freedom, but you, you're hiding something and that garage door starts to close. Well, once that garage door is closed, you have a doorway to walk through. You can still confess it, um, but it gets a little harder 
Okay, it gets a little darker. You feel like you're more stuck in that. And that, that, that doorway closes, and then there's a window, and it's a little harder, it's a little harder. You start to believe that you're the only one, that you're alone, that this is too much, that I'm not going to be loved, valued, whatever, but there is a way out. And so I just want to encourage you, as hard as it feels, um, to, to have that area of confession in your life and accountability, because that's where it can start. Um, well, to... As we were talking about, okay, so if we want to give recommendations, like next steps for someone that says, okay, this is an issue in my life and I need to work toward freedom. Um, one of the things that we talked about was, yeah, confession. Well, who do I confess to? A safe, trusted friend that will take you seriously. So I would say find that safe, trusted friend. Um, if you are in one of our small groups, I strongly encourage you to get there. Uh, your leaders can be that safe, trusted friend that you can confess to, that leader of your small group. Um, if leaders, as you're catching um, some of these confessions and it becomes a little bit challenging, I don't know how to deal with all of these issues, you have, small, you have coaches over your small group leaders, fellows and leaders that can help um, get some of that. And if that's still an issue, still, it, it, still not finding freedom, still not finding um, hope in this, you bring it to us. And we want to help get you the next steps forward. And that might be a licensed counselor um, that you say, this person can help me um, at a deeper level, walk through these issues and find freedom. And uh, so, just to give us some hope, does anyone get out of this? Yes, guys, this has been the most exciting part. Is I think we actually, like in the beginning, thought about not keep doing ministry. We're like, this is hopeless. Let's go train people that don't struggle with these things. And that hasn't been the case. Actually, we see people just so desperately wanting to just reach out to both both God. I find that believers that have this actually are more willing to just get on their face and be desperate for God and each other, like become codependent. An independent culture went to codependent and trying to work healthily interdependent it was maybe the better word interdependent <laughs> yeah not codependent that's <laughs> <laughs> counselor says no that. interdependence but great we've yeah. seen an interdependence and just really being a family together like mm. seeing uh, so many people free and so many people just not even about going overseas just living in freedom they're like i didn't know i could be here that's and right. i think that the counter is so it seems so many people stuck in that cycle is that um you really do need to go and talk to somebody because you've already tried. Mm. Like you, that's why you're in that sing confess cycle is because you probably already tried. And that's a really hopeless spot to be in. So don't worry about the shame and all those things. Step into some of these relationships because you, if you can picture yourself free 10 years from now, that's an amazing picture. But the counter picture is really not fun. Like, and I've seen that one, too, of yeah. people just been trying on their own for so long. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say that. That's awesome. Anything you want to add? Closing? Hey, once again, let's thank Steve and Tara Deckers for coming with us. Um, they are going to be right here. So if anyone would, you would like to talk with either of them, they're going to be right here at the close of the service. Let me pray for us. And uh, table host, you can work your way to your tables. Um, and, and we will end in our final song of worship. Lord, thank you so much that there is freedom and out of pornography. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to come first to, to you, Jesus, that you see us in our sin and you didn't say, uh, I'm going to avoid them. You actually stepped into the sin of the world to bring freedom. And so Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would show us that we first need you, Jesus, that you died in our place for our sins to forgive us of everything that we've done wrong and to bring us freedom. So we'd come first to you. And Lord, I pray that we would confess we would come to people and speak um, out.
that we might find freedom in you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.